This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two more hours of the Snyder Cut, Paul Jaceley. <laughs> Hello, humanoids. <laughs> and Renee Rodriguez. Greetings. I'm very excited to talk to both of you today about comic books. This is episode 278 of I Read Comic Books. Before we get started, though, I want to shout out Bill on Patreon, who sent me a message the other night asking to add links to the Discord and the Goodreads in the header of our website on mobile. So if you haven't already been there and you want to join the Discord of the Goodreads, there are now big, huge links on our website to get to that. So make sure you head over to ircbpodcast.com, click on the Goodreads link to join our Goodreads group, or click on the Discord link to come and hang out with us on Discord. We did an amazing like audio hangout last night with a bunch of people, and it was such a blast. Um, we were all over the place talking about Star Wars comics and and we, we avoided talking about the Snyder Cut all night um, it, based off of my personal preference, just because I know not everybody's seen it yet. Um, <laughs> but it was a really, really good time for three or four hours. We just were, were hanging out all night with people that jumped in and jumped out. So uh, make sure you join that Discord. It's really, really fun. But let's get into this show. Let's talk about comic books. I have legally mandated to ask this question, so I got to do it right now. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Renee. Um, I've been I've been good. Um, I've got a case of the giggles now, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but life's been good. Comics are always good. Although I, uh, I feel like I've let down the audience this week because I did not, it feels like I just didn't read that much, you know, this past <laughs> week or so. Renee, I'm looking at your notes. You read more <laughs> than I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is, just, this is just a sweeping statement, Mike. Allow me to elaborate, you know? Okay. I just feel like I, there's a certain amount that is expected and i just feel like i felt short but uh you guys will be the judge of that and you can let me know on twitter or through discord whatever um so this week i started i decided to actually get back into the manga series toriko uh which i've talked about before and it was a big series for jump and it has a uh, story and art by uh mitsutoshi shimabukuro and uh, the story is about a uh, gourmet hunter named toriko and a gourmet hunter, you ask, is uh, well, it's it's a guy that hunts, or it's a person that hunts exotic animals and plants to then make into food. And in the okay. Toriko world, you know, they have all kinds of outrageous things, like they have large crocodile scorpions, or like you know, I think I, I brought up the corn that was miles in the sky that made a special type of popcorn Mm um you know there's cola at the in a pyramid in egypt or something like that you know it's weird stuff um either way it's a really weird series but it's also really fun and so i I read up to like uh chapter 325 and just kind of stopped and it's like on the whiteboard in my room just constantly staring at me hey you haven't finished this you suck you should probably read this um (laughs) okay so so i finally started rereading it because like all of the chapters are on uh the shonen jump app so i started reading it i only got through a couple chapters as you can see i went through like two and it's shameful but um feeling pretty good about it i also reread the latter three quarters of robot laser beam which is story and art by tadatoshi fujimaki who is the creator of kuroko no basket uh or kuroko's basketball if you're in the u.s and it's a sports manga about basketball, and it the anime is also really, really good, which is how I got into the series. Um, but this is Robot Laser Beam, which is a sports manga about golf. And <laughs> it is weird. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's weird. It's weird, but it's also really really good. And I actually I read this back when it was uh, being serialized in Shonen Jump, and I really loved it. And I was actually very very sad when it got canceled. But also at the same time, I understand because it's really hard to care about golf <laughs> in <laughs> written form. <laughs> I want to emphasize that I said in written form. Okay. Right, um, right. <laughs> I mean, I find it hard to care about golf in general, but you know, to each his own. To each, each their, their own. own. But like, you know, it's a classic, you know, manga and anime trope. They're like, you don't know who that is. That's the wizard of the wedge, yo. Uh, and you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And, uh, but I was rereading through the series and I was like, I, I really love the way that, uh, Tadatoshi Fujimaki writes. It's, very good series it's very small too 62 chapters it's not mm-hmm. bad and uh i was but rereading i was like ah oh, i'm sad again that it didn't go that far um <clears throat> and then the last thing i read was a book that i picked up on kindle called the faraway paladin volume one art by Matsumi okubashi uh, and it is a manga trend i forgot how to say this adaptation Manga it is adaptation. a okay. it's an adaptation, and the original work was by Kanata Yanagino, and the character's design was done by Kususaga Rin. Um, and it's pretty interesting. It's about this uh, orphan that is being raised by a mummy, a ghost, and a zombie type what? thing. <laughs> okay, and they're teaching okay. him magic and like all this stuff, and so they're basically teaching him magic and how to survive, and they're taking care of him. Uh, until he becomes of age to go out into the world. And they're kind of just like not really telling him why he's an orphan or whatever. But, you know, at the same time, he's like, oh, you know, I still love them. They're my family type thing. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of weird. But at the same time, like uh, I'm definitely intrigued. So I'm definitely going to pick up the next volumes. Cool. Paul, what about you? Um, uh, I've been doing all right, Uh, Mike. I know the listeners want a West Michigan weather update. It is finally spring here in Western Michigan. So uh, getting about 60 degrees today. I got to go outside and enjoy it as soon as we're done recording here. In terms of comic books, Mike, I want to be the person to tell you first. I bought an X-Men comic recently <gasps> and I really enjoyed it. Oh my it, gosh. So. <laughs> I know. It, I think the most surprising part of this is I don't even think this is a book that I like recommended to you. I don't know no. who told you to read this book, Paul. <laughs> How dare you pick up an X-Men book without consulting me first? I know. Okay? <laughs> I should have asked. Uh, the book in question is Demon Days, X-Men number one. Um, it's a kind of a one-shot uh, by Peach Momoko, the artist and writer. Mm-hmm. She's doing a series of one-shots for Marvel, and this is the first one. And actually, I remember seeing the artwork in the cover in previews a few months ago. And I'm like, well, that looks lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to read that. So that's what sold me was the artwork. And uh, I wasn't super familiar with Peach Momoko's artwork, but I am now very sort of traditional Japanese style artwork. And then that's what the story is. It is a story rooted in Japanese mythology about Oni and uh, yokai, you know, ancient gods of the land and air and sea and all that. But it's filtered mm-hmm. through Marvel characters. So in the story, you have an Oni who's a giant is attacking a or, you know, demonizing a town in Japan, a small village. And um, it's basically Red Hulk uh, is the character, the, the, the way they draw the giant. Oh, nice. And then um, okay, then you find out there's a giant snake, uh, uh, Orochi is also tormenting the mm-hmm. village and it's clearly venom mm-hmm. you know it's a big giant snake in a in a 
temple. <laughs> and then the, the main character is Psylocke, who's a sort of a wandering samurai type character who shows up and helps the town mm-hmm. defeat these uh, um, monsters. Um, she also has a companion with her, a wolf named Logan. So little details like that make it like kind of a fun story. You know, if you're familiar with those characters mm-hmm. and characters that, you know, I know, even though I'm not well versed in the X-Men, um, it kind of has a, a DC Elseworld kind of vibe to it, where it's just a filtering the characters through a different lens. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm excited to see the other ones that uh, Momoko does. I think the next issue comes out next month and it's uh, about Mariko, which kind of makes sense. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. good stuff. Uh, so, Mike, I read an X-Men you didn't know. So uh, I feel like I accomplished I, something. This is an X-Men book. Yeah, I didn't even pick it up. I wasn't <laughs> aware of it until you brought it to my attention. I can't believe that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I immediately grabbed it. As soon okay. as you were like, I read this. I was like, I got to read this before Paul tells me about it. <laughs> and, of course, of course, I didn't. Okay. But uh, yeah. still, no, it's, it's good to hear that it was good. I, I'm very interested in the idea of it because I think with all of the business that's been happening with Psylocke as a character in a lot of the X-Men books, um, excuse me, Elizabeth Braddock and, mm-hmm. um, or right. excuse me, Betsy Braddock. I don't know how we want to call her name, Elizabeth Braddock and, uh, and Psylocke, AKA Quanun. Um, it's interesting to see like Marvel saying like, yeah, we're just going to do this kind of like alternate story about her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a character I only know by name and appearance. So it's, I could easily jump in mm-hmm. and enjoy this book without knowing any of that background stuff. So yeah, if, if you're an sure. X-Men skeptic like me, might want to check this one out again the artwork is absolutely lovely in it so worth a flip through uh the other book i read is was wonder woman 770 this is the first issue by the new creative team on wonder woman that's uh writers becky clunan and michael w conrad artwork by travis moore colors by tamra bonvillain and this is kind of a new status quo for wonder woman this is the first issue after dc's whole future state uh, I was going to say fiasco, and I'm still going to say fiasco, even though I enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a new status quo for the character, and it's a really interesting one. This issue opens up with Diana waking up in Asgard, of all places, and she finds out she basically died and went to Valhalla. Doesn't remember how she got there, doesn't remember how she died. She's just stuck in Asgard, fighting alongside the heroes of Norse mythology in an endless cycle of fighting, dying, waking up the next morning and doing it all over again until Ragnarok comes. Uh, so you okay. kind of have that the story of a character who's suffering from amnesia, doesn't remember her past, yet she knows something's not right. She's trying to remember who she was before she arrived in Asgard, and there's clues that uh, she's not supposed to be there. And she's just got to figure out what the deal is. So it's a, it's a really interesting mm-hmm. introduction for the, the series. It's cool to see um, Diana, Wonder Woman, in a different type of mythology. And uh, I feel like the the Norse mythology, all the sword fighting, really is in Becky Cloonan's wheelhouse. She always does stories about that kind of stuff. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Travis Moore's artwork is really, really nice. It's uh, that smooth, contemporary superhero style. And he gives a lot of the Norse characters appropriately kirby-esque costumes and designs you know it kind of feels like it could be the same (laughs) asgard that you see in a kirby comic which i kind of appreciated so i'm on board for this series again i like all the creators involved i haven't read a regular wonder woman title in a long time so it's a good jumping on point and it feels like a fresh sort of take on the character with a good mystery Mm -hmm. hook in it there's also a short backup story in this issue uh young diana which was written by jordi belair with art by paulina gaucho and Colors by Kendall Good. Um, it's very different from the main story. It's about uh, Diana as a young girl celebrating her birthday uh, in Themyscira. 
Uh, it was fun, but is such a strange juxtaposition from the serious tone of the main story. It was kind of strange mm-hmm. to go from one to the other. So I'm at this point now. So I guess um, I'm going to start reading Wonder Woman regularly. So they got me. Way to go. I mean, now this is what DC's whole goal is to get you to read the <laughs> Trinity books. Eventually, they're going to be seven dollars each. You're going to be so addicted that you can't let go. Exactly. Um, now they got you. Becky Cloonan hooked you right in. Exactly. It's not hard to get me to read a book if you throw Becky Cloonan on it. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, for me this week, uh, it's been all over the place. I have like not had any time to to read comic books because I've been playing D&D and watching the Snyder Cut. That's all. That's been all of my time this last week. Sure. Um, (laughs) For the most part. Um, the other thing that I will say, I've, I've been watching uh, What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. And if you haven't had a chance to sit down and watch that show, oh my so good. goodness, guys. So good. Some of the funniest television I've ever seen in a very long time. Um, but I did read some comics. I sat down and read Inkblot number one through five. I know number six is out, but I just didn't get to it. Um, this is Emma Kubert with uh, Rusty and Rusty Glad just kind of co-creating this book. They're both doing art, both doing writing, which I think is really interesting. Um, I feel like this series is like my review of it would probably say this is pretty OK, but ultimately like it's a really fun, easy read. Um, there's nothing too overly complex like that first page on issue one is like oh fuck that's a lot of dialogue in this book (laughs) and then um but once the captions i should say but once you get past the first like page or two it honestly it was just to kind of fill you in with some exposition and then after that everything the, the book is just off to the races we're getting a lot of world lore it's so much fun this idea of um I guess like the the TLDR summary of the book is that the world of man is broken into several dimensions. Um, One family sort of rules Mother Earth, what we call Earth, um, and has tamed great beat all the great beasts of the world, like like Loch Ness and the Pharaoh or the Sphinxes and and all this different stuff. And um, there is there are people that have that know magic that are from other dimensions and they kind of jump between them. Some of the family members have magic. Uh, some of them don't. Some of them have disappeared, traveled lands to explore. Some have decided to become conquerors in another dimension. And as the story goes on, you learn more and more about this ruling family of like seven brothers and sisters or maybe more um, through the chronicling of the one sister whose name I cannot find a link to i think she says her name once in the book and i just couldn't find where it was <laughs> after that um but she is known as the seer she's the person that chronicles all the stories of everything that her family has ever done for thousands and thousands of years the story though if you've ever seen a cover to inkblot f- focuses around this uh this cat uh as our main character falls asleep in the library one night that she's working in where she writes all of her stories um she knocks over a vial of ink and accidentally summons a cat from the void dimension so she summons this absolutely stark black cat with bright green eyes um that apparently has like magical summoning powers or has like magical reality altering powers we can't really be sure as the series goes on you find out that this cat can like travel through time and summon demons and you know all and summon you know nice fairies to help you in a forest um so it's kind of like the 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 book sets itself up to be this very super serious fantasy alternate history kind of story where like things like the pyramids exist and you know all of our folklore is true um but then there's this cat that just keeps fucking things up and it's very very funny throughout the entire thing and honestly like as i was reading through these issues i couldn't believe that i was pounding through 22 issues so quickly um because it is a really fun 
exciting read. Um, but overall, nothing in the book really sticks out outside of the kind of wackiness of it. I feel like Hubert's art, I think I talked about number one when it first came out, but what Hubert's art is, is very old style. It very much reminds me of the rest of the Cuberts. Um, <laughs> okay. In, in a lot of ways, it's it, very heavy inks, um, a lot of very traditionally styled characters that you would see from people that study a specific form of drawing characters. Um, I think everything, the, the world that, that Glad and Cubert are designing is really, really interesting. They know how to tell a solid story about a void cat, but um, it's uh it's kind of it, it, i feel like going into this book if you think it's going to be serious fantasy you may be a little bit disappointed but um mm. for everyone else i think it's a pretty solid read like i i think if you pick up the first trade of this you'd be really pleased with how well it reads because it is a very solid book it just has like an older style to it um that i don't think is bad it's just for a modern comic book this looks like it came out of like i don't know like the late 90s early 2000s gotcha um in terms of like style but the the the, the writing is very very well done, I think. Hmm. So that's pretty much it. It's, I mean, it's, I read some other stuff that I, I don't really want to talk about because honestly, I didn't read a lot of good comic books this week. <laughs> um, I think everything I picked up that I was just like, ugh, um, overall. So I don't want to like poop on anything. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week. Mm-hmm. Comics are dropping on March 24th, 2021. What are you both excited for this week? I'm going to pitch back to you, Paul. Well, Mike, my pick actually comes out on Tuesday the 23rd because I picked a DC oh. book. So uh, oh. <laughs> um, I picked uh, Batman Black and White number four. I am a sucker, obviously, for these type of anthology books, especially when they're about Batman. They've done several different versions of the Black Batman Black and White uh, series over the years. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of always delivers, you know, just short little Batman stories with uh, usually pretty amazing artwork. The lineup for issue four... Get ready. You got a story by Chip Zdarsky and Nick Bradshaw, a story by Joshua Williamson and Riley Rosmo, a story by Becky Cloonan and Terry Dodson, and then Daniel Warren Johnson and Carl Kershaw all, all both do their own stories. That's a, that's a murderer's me? row of creators, if you're asking me. So so that's why Holy I picked smokes. that one. Yeah. I have a question, Paul. Yeah. Is it, Bat, I don't know anything about Batman Black and White, and <laughs> I'm assuming that this is wrong, but I also want to say this. Is it about a Batman in a black costume and a Batman in a white costume <laughs> it, fighting. It's it's spy versus spy set in Gotham City. No. <laughs> I would read the shit out of that. Absolutely. Hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Hell yeah. Wait, wasn't that wasn't that what Death Metal was? Or no, am I thinking no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I forgot that that was a real thing, and I was about to say, "Shut up, Mike." So I'm making Danny in the chat very mad right, right now. I'm I was sorry. Like, right, that is real. So, but because it was such a weird thing, I'm still going to say, "Shut up, Mike." Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. what about you? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Paul. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, like, yeah, if if you don't normally read Batman, these are kind of the perfect books because, like I said, they're just short little stories you can jump in and and enjoy. And again, if we have creators like that lined up for issue four like why wouldn't you pick it up so yeah 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 definitely getting people in the door on on those books (laughs) for sure um renee what about you what are you excited for this upcoming week uh i am excited for hard-boiled cop and dolphin chapter 35 and actually that drops today on the shonen jump app um and uh hard-boiled cop and dolphin is the new series by uh (laughs) Ryuhei Tamura, which is the who is the author of Beelzebub, 
which was a manga that was fairly popular a while back, which mm-hmm. I'm not going to explain what it is because I don't think that I could. Um, Hardboiled Cop and Dolphin. It's a... <laughs> I mean, honestly, it explains itself. I, I was going to yeah, say, I don't... <laughs> everything I know about this series is in the title. <laughs> it's it's exactly what it sounds like. There's a hard-boiled cop, and his partner is a dolphin, and they live on an island, uh, on a small island uh, outside or uh, in Japan, and they are basically taking on uh, ocean crime. Okay. <laughs> okay. And their main opponents right now, uh, and probably for the whole series, is this thing called the Cult of the Sea, which is like, well, it's a cult made up of people who are, you know, kind of breaking away from the rest of, you know, the underwater population and trying to basically sink the rest of the world so that the people basically control all of it. And they're made up mostly of top-ranking members from the uh, underwater gangs. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say to this. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. It's very zany. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't tell. What? But I think... <laughs> this is this is the issue. This is the issue, Renee, because every time you're on the show, you'll mention a book like this and it sounds so awesome. And then it'll be like, oh, it's on chapter 38 or 35. I'm like, well, I don't have time to catch up on that. So I just need you well, to show up d- and describe these books to me more regularly. <laughs> well, the funny thing about these chapters is that, Paul, you can read like 20 or 30 in a sitting and it okay. feels the same as reading like a, a full collected edition for some some reason yeah literally a chapter is the same number of pages as an issue of an american comic they're roughly 18 to 20 pages yeah depending on the the series yeah gotcha so really i mean like is it's 30 chapters though isn't if it doesn't feel as heavy as 30 issues of a comic somehow sure sure okay that and you know there's a lot this this series originally kind of started out as kind of like a gag manga type Mm -hmm. thing you know if you couldn't tell from the dolphin um (laughs) so a lot of it is just kind of hijinks at first and so there's a lot more pictures than than big heavy info dumps and there's a lot of action in it as well so it does read fairly quickly Mm -hmm. and i actually thought we were a lot farther than 35 chapters in because the story picks up really really fast but i would highly recommend it because it is kind of quirky it is kind of fun but also what is really enjoyable about it is how seriously it takes itself Mm -hmm. because it's like there and and everyone points out they're like, this is weird, right? This is weird that these things are happening, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it's weird, but you just got to roll with it. <laughs> and then everybody does, and uh, it's becoming a it's 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 been a fun read since the beginning, but it is getting actually really really cool because we're learning more about the cult of the sea. And, you know, there's a lot more fights and stuff like that. And things are kind of just escalating at a natural point. But at the same time, it's, it's getting real. So highly recommend Hard Boiled Cop and Dolphin, what it is. Nice. I mean, I'm probably eventually going to read this book as I as I get through every series in the Shonen Jump app. This will eventually come up on my list, I'm sure. <laughs> 
Well, for me this week, uh, I guess before I get into it, I want to shout out some of our Discord folks who who threw out some books, namely our buddy Danny, who's here, uh, who said that he's excited for Teen Titans Academy number one. Um, I don't know what this is about, but you know what? Anything that has Academy in it, I will usually try. So hands <laughs> hands down, um, I will probably pick this up because anything that has to do with teens in an Academy, two words already in the title, mm-hmm. you got me. So <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Um, I have no attachment to Teen Titans, so you know what? I'm just going to dive for headfirst and be like, who is this Beast Boy? Why do they call him that? And, you know, I, I'll know figure it out. about Beast Boy? Uh-oh. I know enough. He turns into beasts and he's a boy. That's about Whoa. all you need to know, I think. Do not, the disrespect <laughs> coming DC right fans, now. I know. Write your emails. <laughs> tell me how wrong I am, please. Um, podcast at gmail.com. But, uh, for me, though, this week, I my book is also coming out on Tuesday because I picked a DC book as well. What? This is Harley Quinn number one by Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rossmo. Um, the question that I'm asking is, um, am I actually doing this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm doing this because I don't know anything about what's going on with Harley Quinn in the DC universe or what's happening in Gotham. Uh, but this team, like, I'm game. I don't even know what this book is about. But you got Riley Rossmo on it, given his red white and black issue that he did uh in the harley quinn series which everybody come on go read harley quinn red white and black it's amazing thank you danny for recommending that series to me read that book then check out raleigh rossmo's issue and if you think that's great you're probably going to want to pick this book up because my feeling is that like it's just going to be more fun stuff with harley something about the way that harley quinn is being written by some of the modern creators just really gels with the kind of humor that i want in a gotham based book so i'm all for this book it's it looks really really exciting yeah so that's that's my pick for this week that's interesting yeah i've I've never had much of a connection to that character so i've never read any mm-hmm. of the previous series but yeah again that creative team is enough to make me uh maybe pull this first issue give it a whirl yeah so cool well some of the you know i've been talking to people about this you know about like why i think harley quinn has really like gelled with me and i think it's a combination of this this way that dc is portraying the character in this like fuck the joker i don't really need him and i can you know do things on my own and be a villain but she still has this very much like underdog quality to her because no one takes her seriously yeah um i I really like that the way that she's written i mean if you watch the birds of prey movie Mm -hmm. like that's the character that you're getting in a lot of these comic books okay as well as the cartoon show that came out on the dc universe app I'm, I've overall, overall just had a lot of fun. Like that Harley Quinn TV show that they did is probably the funniest thing I've seen in a very long time. Like as a huge comic book nerd, even tangentially knowing like half the stuff that goes on in that and all the characters that show up, um, it's so much fun because it feels like a Venture Bros cartoon where they actually get to use all the licensed characters that they had to only make allusions to <laughs> yeah. in the Venture Bros TV show. Gotcha. So because if, if you liked Venture Bros, I think you would love the Harley Quinn show because it feels like the same animation style, the same level of like dirty jokes and stupidity and like really clever stuff all at once. And yeah. And then that, the way that they portray the character, like Harley throughout that series, really carries over to all the books that I've, I've read with Harley Quinn over the last year or so. So I don't know, guys, I think I'm a Harley Quinn person, but like not (laughs) in a weird way, you know, like there are those people out there who like Harley Quinn and like the, okay maybe slow down there um i don't i'm not trying to be like that i just really like the character and how she's being written it's really fun um i could see that i could see that uh, because i I, for me again i've never had much connection to that character but i liked birds of prey the movie so much that yeah i think that this contemporary version of the character is way more appealing so yeah 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was really hard for me to get over um, the guy that played Dr. Zaz in that movie because I just kept seeing him as Reese from the newsroom. <laughs> okay, I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, but <laughs> that movie was great. But it was still really hard. Every time he came on, I was like, yo, Reese, what you doing? <laughs> uh, well, before we get too deep into more Harley Quinn discussion and all the things that we found weird with, you know, DC movies in general, um, <laughs> let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about our, the pride and shame of our comic collection. We'll be back in just a second. For our show this week, you know, I, I said before the break that we were going to be talking about our pride and shame of comics, but psych, we're talking about NFTs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to give it any more press. All I could say is that NFTs are bad. And if you know people that are trying to use them, that they don't care about the world or the environment, because uh, there's a big discussion to be had about that. If you want to talk about it, come over to the Discord. I will happily have a conversation about why these things are not great for the comics industry or comic creators or pretty much anybody who makes art because uh, uh, it's just a whole thing. There's a beautiful article that you can read online about what what those things are. I just want to make sure that we said it on the show. We don't support NFTs. That's that's pretty much it. I think I speak for everybody on the show when I say that. Mm-hmm. So, um. But yeah, let's actually talk about the thing that was the topic for this episode, which is what are the pride and shame of your comic collection? For longtime listeners, you may remember Brian, Kate, and Nick talking about this on episode 131 way, way back in the day. I figured let's bring this topic back. I haven't talked to Renee and Paul about this, and I haven't talked about what my pride and shame are. So to get things started... um, Let's let's go through all of the items that are on our shame pile. Let's talk about the things that we're like, God damn it, I can't believe I own that. Paul, let's start with you. What's one of the things that you're just like, I don't know why I own this, but here it is. Uh, Mike, I have um, immaculate taste in comics, so I don't have much to be ashamed oh. of. So, um, <laughs> no, I kid, of course. Um, you know, it's weird. I was trying to rack my brain and think about something, quote unquote, ashamed of um, the First thing I thought of was, boy, I have a lot of random issues of Gen 13 I've rescued from dollar bins over the years and I've never mm. actually read. Um, uh, but that's that's purely nostalgia, which leads me to my larger point is that the real shame I feel about my comic collection is how much of it I sold off uh, after I graduated high school. So like early 2000s, um, I'd been buying comics. Uh, I didn't have a huge collection, but I had a lot of things that uh, in retrospect, I wish I still had. So my shame is what I don't have anymore you know what i mean i like, see i see you know i had a lot of the really early dark horse um madman stuff that mike Allred did those are all gone now and those are hard to replace you know you can't find those in dollar bins um no, for sure you know i, I had uh, maybe like the first two dozen issues of grant morrison's jla run which was a big book for me and like i've gone back and read that stuff in trades but it's like it'd still be nice to have those original issues that i i had as a as a young man so I guess when you're talking about shame of a combo collection, it's stuff like that. And of course, uh, Gen 13 issues for some reason. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, well, that's quite a way to get us started. Yeah, um, yeah I, uh, 
<laughs> I mean, that's that's a really unfortunate. I feel like, you know, we're all eventually going to have that that same pain of like, we're going to get rid of comic books in our collection. And then one day we're going to really regret it because for some reason, that one weird issue of Gen 13 that we don't have anymore <laughs> is gone. And boy, oh boy, it would have been nice to have that. Yeah, um, yeah. But more importantly, things like Mad Men, where you just don't understand like the value long term. It's, you know, it's unfortunate. Again, yeah, nothing I had was super rare or valuable, but it is like, you know, I kind of wish I had the... uh the the poly bagged issue uh, edition of Superman seventy five I had you know Death of Superman stuff like that it's like <laughs> right. as just right, right, items right. of my nostalgia that's what their value right. is so it's yeah. kind, of, kind of a shame that I don't have those anymore yeah I mean when I say value I mostly mean just like sentimental <laughs> or just like personal value that like you think like oh I'm not going to just resell this because I think that that kind of collection is weird um, personally like I'm just I don't right. I don't think that there's a lot of money in it. Um, and I think it's just kind of a thing that takes advantage of the the very small market that we already have. But um, <laughs> yeah. beyond that, it's, it is like, you know, I'd love to have this key issue because this character is important to me, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I get that. Um, Renee, what about you? What's one of the things that you've got on your on your shame list of books that you're just like, I don't know why I own this? Uh, well, in terms of why I own this, technically, it's only I can't. I, I like, tried thinking about this because I right after uh, kind of like what Paul said, although it wasn't high school, it was right after I graduated from college. Mm-hmm. I went through all my comics because I was like, I was like, we, we're downsizing here, you know, not going to live in as spacious an apartment as I had in college again. And so I got rid of a ton of books that I either didn't like or you know, regretted buying or whatever. And I ended up donating them to the comic book club. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly I like, what I did, man. Yeah. It was right there. I was like, Hey, you guys will appreciate free comics. And if you don't, I don't really care. Um, but I would say since it was, cause I think it was about two or three years ago. I started, I found the, the Barnes and Noble deal, the buy two get one free manga deal that they have at Christmas time. Um, Oh yeah, that's a whole thing. I bought like forty books in one year. It was bad. Wow. I um, I remember that. I remember talking you talking about that regularly. You and Nick White at some point, I think, were buying nonstop books with Barnes and Noble deals. I mean, my my bookshelf looks like it's about to break. It's got so much <laughs> stuff. On Same it. here, dude. And like I, I you know I had to buy more long boxes for all my Western comics that I had. Mm-hmm. But I would say to the there's really only one book that I'm really like kind of ashamed of. And it's more, more of the fact that like I didn't peruse it before I bought it. Cause I, I couldn't, it was one of those books where it had like the wrap around it. So you couldn't like flip through the book to see right. what it was like. Cause that's, that's what I like to do is I, if I like the cover, I'll then read like the synopsis and then I'll flip through a few pages and I'm like, all right, if I like it, I will, I will buy it. So I did with Howard, the duck and you know a bunch of other <laughs> manga. Um, those ones just stick out. Howard the mind. Duck is not isn't manga. <laughs> no, it's not. But uh, but the, I remember I remember that like I went into Vault and uh, the uh, the worker that, that I guess Howard was like, "Are you reading Howard the Duck?" And I was like, "No, I'm not reading Howard the Duck. Fuck you." <laughs> Uh, and he was like, <laughs> he was like, just read Howard the Duck. Read a couple pages. If you don't like it, I, I trust that. He's like, you can read it. I trust you, but if you if you don't like it, if you don't immediately want to buy it, you know that's fine. And I was just like, all right, this is a bold sales pitch. Let's uh, let's see what's going on. And like three pages in, I went, damn you, and I ended up <laughs> buying Howard the Duck. 
And, um, but this, this book, this shame book that was sealed, uh, it's called Glepnir or something like that. And it's, okay. it's, I can't, I'm not even going to explain what it is. If you've read it, you know, it's weird. Well, no, you have to explain it. That's, we have to understand why it is a shame book. That's the thing is, is I don't, it's so weird. <laughs> okay. I remember, remember, okay. I talked about, I talked about a book earlier about a hard-boiled cop and a dolphin taking on a cult of mermen. That, and this is stranger than that. This is stranger than that because there's a kid who somehow gets cursed into being a giant mascot that someone can walk into and control him. <laughs> okay. okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. And it's okay. really weird and it's also got like lots of weird sexual tones in it and I I again like I I just thought it sounded interesting and then I started reading it and I was like I don't think I'm going to read any more of this series. Um it's weird. So that's the shame book of my collection. Gotcha. Oh. Just the one shame book. Well, you know, we'll come well, back. Well, we'll come back. I've, we'll come I've back. I've got other shamey things, but that's the one that I'm like actually like unco- I'm super uncomfortable right now having to explain that to you. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, rather than press that even harder, um let's talk about I'll talk about like one of the books that I on my shameless. I tried to come up with a couple different things. Um one of them is so when I was first getting into comics, and I probably told this story a couple times on the show before, um, I got really into new X-Men, but I also heard that there was this pair, this sister series or like one of the trio series that were coming out called um, Uncanny X-Men written by one and only um, Chuck Austin that everybody in the X-Men fan community hates to death. This, this book, everyone hates. Um, this series, this run, everyone hates from beginning to end. This is the run that has um, Black Tom Cassidy and the Juggernaut. Uh, they kill a fish boy. Um, there is, uh, oh yeah, the Juggernaut also has sex with She-Hulk and it's a whole thing. Um, this is also the arc where we find out who Nightcrawler's mom is, which is Mystique. And she was with Azazel, the devil. Um, this run was all over the place. Um and but it does, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I was trying to collect all these books because I love the X-Men and I, you know, wanted to read them at the time. I didn't know any better. And uh, so I went out and I was trying to find the final arc or final volume of this this arc. Right. So because the end of New X-Men and the end of Uncanny X-Men are collected in a final issue of Uncanny X-Men because it's the it's the end of the. It's the end of the run because Jean Grey has died and there's this whole thing where Wolverine is basically the focal character as he's very, very much upset and everybody, you know, Wolverine loves Jean Grey. Did you guys know that? I didn't know that until I read this run. <laughs> Interesting. Um, <laughs> so the, the last arc of this is called Bright New Morning. Um, morning spelled like, you know, when you're sad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tried to find a copy at local comic shops, Barnes and Noble. No one was printing it. No one had copies. Barnes and Noble kept running out. Somebody was either buying these or Marvel was like, we can't let this kid have this last volume. (laughs) Um, So I bought a copy on eBay and it came and it was super trashed, right? It was just like beat up really, really badly. Didn't look like the pictures because back in the day, I wasn't going to a local comic shop. I was either buying things from Barnes and Noble or buying it on eBay um, because I didn't know how to get comics, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I bought that copy and then I was like, well, this one's trash. I can barely even read it. It looks super water damaged, right? Like one corner of it was damaged like by water before it even got to me. Um, so I went to go find another copy, found another copy um, and it showed up and the spine was completely ruined. Like it just came, like all the pages came out of the book. And I was like, son of a, how am I supposed to put this on my shelf? Right. Because that was my whole thing. I wanted to put it on my shelf, too. And uh, so I bought a third copy of this book <laughs> at a comic convention sure. uh, that I went to. Finally, I had a copy that actually actually was in decent shape decent enough shape um the corners were really dinged and stuff like that but i didn't care i could open i could read it and it was fine um so i own three copies <laughs> of uncanny x-men volume six bright new morning okay <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> that's that is my shame not only do i own the inf- entire run of this not this very well um disliked or this very much disliked run but also i own three copies of the final arc uh as if like i'm some sort of obsessive with the death and like the morning of gene gray mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's one of the books i just i'll I'll never get over just that the the year and a half i spent trying to get the final <laughs> volume of this book because um, i'm pretty sure that i read it like i got it and i read it but i was like i want a better copy and so i was mm-hmm. on the search for this book for years hmm. um and this is this is where my like my real like collector's like snobbishness came into play. So I was like, well, if I'm going to get this book, it better be in the correct format and it better be in the best style and the best, you know, preserved version of it that I can find. I won't buy anything with ding corners or anything. I was, I was very rude about it um, to myself. Like I didn't talk to anybody about this stuff. It was just me. I had lists of like books and I was ranking all of the values of like my various comics and stuff. And somewhere along, like two or three moves later, I just realized, God damn it, there's a lot of comic books. And at this point, if any of them survive, I should just be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, so I I gave up on that. But yeah, I own three copies of uh, Bright New More. I think at this point, I only own two copies because I think I threw away the damaged one and the water damaged one got so like the pages became so fanned out in like. Uh, like they were illegible, like on the last third of the volume that I think I gave, I threw that one away too. But um, yeah, I purchased, I guess, multiple copies of this and I still own the one final one that um, is in decent enough shape, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, it's a whole thing. Uh, Are there any other other shame books you guys have (laughs) that you want to talk about or Uh, any questions about this uncanny X-Men obsession (laughs) that I had? I was going to say, are you ashamed of being an X-Men fan? Is there something to unpack there, Mike? Is that uh, that a... No, I mean, here's the thing. So here's the thing, like, let's, let's get, let's make this into a therapy session really quick. I appreciate you asking the question, Paul. So, um, so the thing is, so like, I know that like on the show here, I talk a lot about being a big X-Men fan. I think that I'm a pretty big X-Men fan. Mm -hmm. The problem is that there are bigger (laughs) X-Men fans out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm extremely intimidated by them because I love the X-Men and I remember a lot of the X-Men stuff that I've read and I have very fond memories of a lot of the X-Men books that I read, good or bad, you know, it's, it's a, it's the worst thing in the world as a comic book reader who finds things out on their own and you go wow i really really like this only to find that the majority of the community that's involved in that thing really really dislikes it or you took away x y and z from the book and the rest of the community said like taking away x y and z from this book is really shallow so like the the problem with the x-men community for me is that like i feel like sometimes not all the time but sometimes i'm like an outsider and i feel like like expressing my opinions and thoughts about the community, like is going to get me blackballed. Um, oh, okay. And it's yeah. going to like, it's going to make me an outsider or like a weirdo in an already like niche community where there's only so many people to talk about this stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird because like there are parts of the 
Chuck Austin run that I still like. And it feels <laughs> weird to say that to people because they go, oh, Ew. Yeah. OK, so you're trash. And it's like, oh, well, fuck me, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, yeah, that's weird. That, that That's tough. You know, something that just came to mind. I, uh, one book I maybe should be ashamed of owning or owning so many issues of. Uh, there was a series that Dave Sim uh, who is best known for doing Cerebus in the 90s um, mm-hmm. and has some, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to put it mildly, some uh, troubling uh, views politically or culturally at times. Um, we don't need <laughs> yeah. to get into the specifics, but he did a book uh, before I knew about all that. I was getting back into comics around 2008, 2009, and he was doing a series called Glamour Puss that he was self-publishing, I think. And it's basically, a, mm-hmm. uh, the covers were all spoofs of fashion magazines, but then the comics themselves were a really well-done, in-depth history of newspaper cartooning and classic newspaper cartoonists. Huh. Super well-researched, beautifully illustrated. But uh, yeah, given Dave Sims' uh, uh, you know, expressed views on, uh, on, on women and misogyny, uh, the fact that he was spoofing fashion magazines doesn't quite sit well. And I still have about 12 right. of those issues. And it's like, boy, I just don't know how to get rid of these. You know, because I'm never going right. to read them again. Right. So that, I guess in terms of we're talking content, that may be something I should uh should uh should disappear from my collection. I guess. Yeah, it's 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 really <laughs> weird. You know, like you find out, and this is like the, the the heartbreaking side of comics. In some, you know, in some cases, it's like, you know, we collect a lot of these things, yeah. and not to like completely get away from the topic here, but I think like we collect a lot of these things, and. You know, like I have a shitload of Warren Ellis comics, right? right. Like, don't yeah. like, let, let's talk about like how many comics I've bought by this creator because I thought that a lot of things that he did were really, really interesting, really, really smart, really well done. They didn't put people out. He went out of his way to support people, you know, like yeah. in the LGBTQ community and he went out of his way to support what it seemed like women and creators and stuff like that. Um, but then we find out that he's like this fucking groomer. Yeah. And like all this shit. And it's it's really tough to be like, yeah, man, one of my one of my the most co- most comics I own by a single creator is this guy. And then it turns out he's like garbage. And and mm-hmm. it's it's weird because like at the same, you know, the community is basically I feel like they've said like, well, Warren Ellis probably shouldn't be making comics anymore. Or shouldn't be in this position of power because he's abused it. And he's proven that he's abused it. And it turns out he's a serial abuser of this power. Yeah. Right. Like he's never actually you know, been in a spot where he's, he's taken advantage of someone like, you know, in a physical way or done something that would like, that is, um, you know, like physically harmful to someone, but he's done a lot of emotional abuse to a lot of women over the years. Right. And how how do we, how do we reconcile with that? You know, that, and that's like the, the struggle that you have. And you know, this comes back to a topic that we've covered over the many years of this show. Like how do you, do you separate the creator from the content? And Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's hard in a lot of ways because if you look back with that, that context and your, you know, and your vision of what this creator was doing, it totally changes the perspective of a lot of his books. You know, Transmetropolitan is a book that I absolutely love. But then when you reflect upon the idea that in this book, the way that Warren Ellis wrote it, you know, he is spider Jerusalem and then he's got these two women that he is slowly but surely kind of molding into this specific thing in a way that is used in, in a comedic way. But then yeah. if you take it with this lens of grooming someone, it's like, oh, fuck, he's just writing about grooming people in this comic book. Or at least that's how it could be interpreted. Sure. It's it's really a bummer. So, like, yeah. do I have to say the shame of my comic collection is all these fucking Warren Ellis comics <laughs> or do I do something else? Right. Um, because in my mind, I'm trying to just have a laugh here with some of the goofy books that I've bought. But right. like, yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely tough. Yeah, 
I, I'm kind of that way with, I have a lot of Green Lantern books that had art by Ethan Van Syver. Sure. Ugh, yeah. 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 And, yeah. Uh, you know, just all of that and just being like, but I love these Green Lantern stories. Mm-hmm. 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 And the, the and the, the horrible thing was is I really like I, I the first C two E two I went to I was really excited to uh, get something signed by Ethan Van Syver I actually don't even remember if I ended up getting something signed because mm-hmm. I think what really put me off was that him and his wife were auctioning off a gun. <laughs> hold on, can we take? Can we walk back that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had a they had a gun that they were they they like had for sale or they were like doing like an auction or something like that, so wow. people could come in and play something. And so like he he was like hardly ever at the booth. And I remember just being like, "Why is there a gun?" <laughs> They're like, "We're auctioning it." And I was like, That's "So weird." Wow. I was like, maybe I was, this was my first con I'd ever been to, and I was you know I was like 19 years old, so I was like. Maybe this is a thing. Is this normal? Yeah. It's I like the know. comic and entertainment expo and gun show. Yeah, right? I was like, it was, it was weird. I think that was the first year of C2E2. Actually. Yeah, it might have been. Huh. It was a very, it was a very strange thing. But yeah, you know, I have sure. all these, I have all these Green Lantern comics that are some of my favorite that really got me into Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And but like they've, you know. I don't like Ethan Van Syver as a person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe in that movement. Yeah. And Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, and so it's weird. It's weird though, because I have so many of those books. I would say those are, those are the things that I'm most ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's tough because like, I think there's a difference between like you bought these books and then like, years later you know it, the, all this shit was found out like you can't put that on yourself right because right. i think yeah. i think that's like the the kind of the answer here maybe not an answer but it is like a, a a mental process you kind of have to go through of just like you didn't know these things about this person when you made this purchase when you were supporting them when you championed them at the time uh, and now that you do know these things it's important to recognize that that these things happened and that that's who this person is and so therefore it's it is on your po- it is on you to basically say well i don't support what they do now therefore i will no longer support them in the future you know i don't know it's it's a tough situation it, i mean it's it's tough it seems there's kind of an easy answer which is don't support this person anymore don't encourage people to support this person but yeah well the other the other biggest shame in my uh in my uh collection is just all the brightest day books i have because that Story sucks. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. There we go. That's what I want to talk about. There okay, cool. Yeah. Back on topic. <laughs> I had so I had such high hopes and then I was like, this isn't very good, is it? <laughs> what, what made that book so bad for you? It wasn't interesting. It was, okay. <laughs> I, yeah. It was all over the place. It was all over there was nothing was connected and like just a lot of things didn't make sense. And it was just very blah because they were like, this is the next step. This they're like, remember how great Black Sight was? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is bright as day and it's going to be even better. But it also isn't just the lanterns. It's everybody in the DC universe. So we're going to make it connect in this really cool way. And then at the very end, it was just kind of like, eh. Well, yeah, I just remember that reading okay. that like they're, they're building up to a big reveal. It's going to change everything you know. And the big reveal is that Swamp Thing came back. And you're just kind of like, that's all you yeah. got? That's all you got yeah, for me. Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing, <laughs> Dead Man, yeah. Batman. Although Batman, you know, came back through a different way. Mm-hmm. So, and it was, it was just like I was like, wow, this is just, this is just a hot mess, isn't it? This, yeah. You uh-huh. just felt compelled to do another big thing. 
<laughs> and you, yeah. you did it. You didn't follow through. Then everybody wouldn't shut up about Swamp Thing. But how, how bad would thing. it have been if the big reveal was like, and the big reveal at the end of this is Superman 2. And for some <laughs> reason, there's just another Superman. It's the <laughs> right. exact same. I mean, that's kind of what the DC universe is right now, right? There's two Supermans flying around and stuff. I don't know. I don't read DC comics. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I except do. For, except for Harley Quinn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. It's the thing is is that most of the time when DC pulls out a lot of wacky crap, as long as it's like interesting, I'm down for it. But and that's my biggest gripe with Brightest Day, and I'm sure I'll get a lot of hate for this because I got a lot of hate for it at the time when it came out because everyone was like, "You're still picking up Brightest Day?" I was like, "Yeah," although I don't know why. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone was like, "What? What are you talking about?" I was like, "It's boring." Mm-hmm. That's uh-huh. my main issue with it is that it is incredibly boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that just speaks and to like, the, the larger issue sometimes when I do see how many long boxes I have and I just start doing the calculations in my brain of how much money I've spent. <laughs> there's a sense of shame right. I get from that. So I understand. Yeah. yeah. There's well, a sense of shame from the anger from the fact that I think I'm missing three issues from Brightest Day. <laughs> and I'm like, it shouldn't bother me because I don't care about Brightest Day. But I'm like, but it bothers me because it's not a complete set. Right. And right. then I feel personal shame at that fact that I'm angry about that. Well, well, how about how about this? Really quick. Is there any last minute <laughs> shames you want to get out there? Because I do want to talk about the books that we are proud about that we have in our collection. Let's end this on a high note. I, because I have uh, one more shame book, but Paul, what about you? Um, I, you know what? I've already, I've already shared too much. Uh, I've got nothing else. Okay. Okay. Nothing else to hide. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to talk about another bad <laughs> eBay experience that I had because I, as an ignorant child who was just getting into comic books, um, really wanted to be the person that had like the number one issues, the person that's like, I got here in the ground floor. And so I bought all these, you know, I was buying all these trades and stuff from Barnes and Noble and eBay. And I really was starting to get into single issues. And I got, I started reading Ultimate Spider-Man. I was still reading it in trade. And I was like, but I really, before I go to this C2E2, because this was the convention that was nearby, I knew Brian Michael Bendis was going to be there. So I scoured the internet to try to find probably one of the hardest comics to find on the internet at the time, um, Ultimate Spider-Man number one. (laughs) Okay. And so I was going to this convention thinking, I'm going to get Brian Michael Bennis to sign all of my House of M issues because I had all of those. And I wanted to get Ultimate Spider-Man number one. And um, I went on eBay. I found a copy of a screen, a picture that someone had took. They were like, Ultimate Spider-Man number one. It looked like what they had. It was bagged and boarded. It looked in really good condition. And I bought it and I think I spent like 25 or $30 on it. I was like, what a steal for a number one issue of the original run of Ultimate Spider-Man. It gets here, it gets to my house. I open up the packaging very carefully just to like make sure it's the real deal. And of course, it's not the real deal. <laughs> oh no. It is, it is the free comic book day edition of uh, Ultimate Spider-Man number no. one, <laughs> and, which was basically a reprint to like celebrate chapter or issue 50 or something like that of ultimate spider-man so um i was really i was really upset about that i was like i can't believe i spent this much money on like on ebay plus shipping all the way to my house just to get this free comic book day copy that wasn't even like the full size of a comic book and stuff uh it was a it was a bummer Uh, but i have that like 300 I i think i still brought it to C2E2 and got it signed <laughs> just because I wanted to get as many things signed as possible. So I might, I definitely still have it somewhere in my collection because I wouldn't have given that away. Um, anyways, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about our pride. Well, let's talk about on. some got, of the comics. I, got, I have, you one got one more. Okay. One okay. more, it's, but it's, it's like a glassing thing. I have 
like a couple issues that I didn't take care of when I was younger because like I got yeah. random issues from my brothers for Christmas and they're mm-hmm. really good stories, but they're missing the covers or they're, you know, they're all torn up. Sure. So that's Ooh. a shame because I didn't take care of them. And then, but my main shame are all the comics that I own that I haven't read. <laughs> yes. yes. All right. We're not going to talk about that because I don't want to, I don't want to get into that. Um, <laughs> it's an understandable shame of every comic book reader uh, and collector. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the books that we're really proud of. What's um, Renee, let's just go back with you. What's one of the books that you you're very happy that you own that you, you love this book and you, you want to show it off to people. Maybe if you had the, 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 the space and the ability to do so. Oh, my, all you need is kill adaptation. Okay. You have an original copy of that? Uh, I wouldn't say it's an original copy, but it's <laughs> like, I guess it's like the first printing of it. Cause, um, all you need is kill as, as a light novel. And then they made a manga adaptation with mm-hmm. the art, uh, by the guy that does death note and Bakuman, whose name mm-hmm. I can't remember right now. Takeshi Obata, yeah. uh, who is yeah. my favorite manga artist. I love his art. Um, and so he does the art for it and it is incredible and the manga adaptation is very faithful to the light novel which i also own um but so when i bought all you need is killed one it was a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like i say it's a lot it was like 20 or 30 dollars i'm just a cheapskate um, sure <laughs> but it was like i was because i didn't like have a gift card or anything i bought it just outright i was like i want this and the art is great and the story is great and it was yeah, right it's a at, beautiful book i think it was right when edge of tomorrow came out or whatever mm-hmm, right. which is mm-hmm. why they were like aka yeah. they ended up changing the name of that movie to live die repeat did you know that i did and uh i don't care for it um, <laughs> <laughs> i still think the original title is so cool all you Same. need is kill yeah i'm like dude Absolutely. that is dope yeah so i mean that's that, that i'm super proud of that book because it is it's excellent gotcha uh, what about you, Paul? What's one of the books that's in your in your pride pile? Uh, again, this is a this is a tough one because it's not so much that I feel pride uh, of owning it, but again, it's more of the nostalgia and connection I have to the books. That I'm glad I own sure. them. You know what I mean? So the first thing I thought of was um, my collection of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol that I have. So I have the complete run of his uh, writing Doom Patrol. And it's nice. all stuff, and they're not in good shape. They're worn because I've read them over and over again. I got them mostly out of dollar bins at cons and stuff. But still, it was the experience mm-hmm. of cobbling that together. It's like, yeah, I could go by the trade, but I want to read this book issue by issue. It's a series that means a lot to me. It's a creator that means a lot to me. So putting that collection together over the span of a year or two, um, I still take kind of a pride in owning that and having that at hand to read at any time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a, that's an endeavor, especially given that like now I feel like there's, you know, a little bit like more visibility into that series, yeah. um, you know, thanks to our show, but also because, <laughs> you know, there was, you know, the Gerard Way run, play TV show and stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, you were, you were cool before it was cool and collecting <laughs> this has got to be definitely tough. I think like, you know, especially books that came out in the eighties to get a full run of that. That's, that's actually pretty impressive. Yeah. And I have a, well, not a complete run, but I have a huge, huge chunk of the um, uh, uh, James Demadius, Keith Giffen, um, Doom Patrol stuff, Kevin McGuire, Doom Patrol, uh, not Doom Patrol, sorry, J- Justice League stuff. So Justice League International, oh, gotcha. Justice League America. I have a big chunk of that stuff. Well, again, I've cobbled together over the years from dollar bins and back issue bins. And like that's always kind of fun. That's something that when I do pull out my comic collection, I'm like, yeah, it's cool that I have all this stuff, you know? And mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. one that sprang to mind is my copy of OMAC number one. 
by Jack Kirby, which is probably my favorite comic book of all time, single issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding that was a thrill. And then, of course, the Jack Kirby uh, 2001 adaptation I got at a Comic-Con a few years ago. That's something kind of I have a, a special place on my shelf. For sure. Know? For sure. I mean, and that's that's the thing. It's one of those, like, it's a rare find. It's something that's like, whether it's worth money or not, like, it's right. something that you're just, like, glad to have, right? Yeah. And again, it's the, for me, it's the same thing with collecting records or something. Yeah, I could go on eBay and order any of this stuff you know, for roughly the same mm-hmm. price, but it was being at the con, not expecting to find something that cool and just seeing it in the mm-hmm. bin, like, oh gosh, I have to have this now. You know what I mean? So right. that experience, that's what I'm nostalgic for and sentimental about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've, I've got, you know, a couple different things. I, I was trying to rack my brain for stuff about like things that I'm really glad that I have, you know, like I have a full run of uh, X Factor, you know, like Peter okay. David's X Factor. And again, he's one of those creators. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to be like super excited about having his comics, but at the same time, like that run means a lot to me. It's like some of the stuff that goes through through that entire ten year span is just it's insane to me, and I loved it at that ten years, five years maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a I love that run um, to death, um, and I you know I, I'm happy to have all of that. I uh, another thing that I you know I'm I'm very happy that I own, and I know that this is like a key issue, and it's something that people seek for or look for and stuff. But I do own a copy of Uncanny X Men two sixty six, <laughs> which is the first appearance of Gambit. Of course, um, I I went to NYCC two years ago when he was there, uh, when Chris Claremont was there, and I got it signed by him, which is really awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, but like the only reason I own a copy of that is by happenstance, right? Like, um, right. so I ran this comic book club in college. And uh, Gambit was not at NYCC. Then Danny Dask gave me the chance. <laughs> Chris Claremont was at was at NYCC, um, and I got him to sign it, and uh, which was nice. But I own this issue by happenstance, like um, a friend of a friend what, that I worked with uh, while I was at in college. That was like, hey, I've got a bunch of comics. You run the comic book club. Can I donate these comics? And I was like, sure. He's like, I don't know what I've got, but I used to collect a bunch of comics in the '90s, um, and I went, you know, I used to get key issues and stuff because I was obsessed, and now I just. I don't have any use for these anymore. I don't want them. So he donated like two long boxes full of comics. And there were a ton of actual like Spider-Man number one by Todd McFarlane, you know, Mm -hmm. that gold foil cover. He had like the edition that wasn't the one you find at every comic book shop across (laughs) the country. Yeah. Um, And I think I took that when because like he told me to pick through things before I donated. I was like, okay, And uh, I took that. And then when Kate Scotchless was running the group, she had to like get rid of some of the comics. And so she she went through and found a bunch of them and handed them over to me. And she's like, well, there's also a copy of Uncanny X-Men 266 in like really good condition. And I was like, fuck, yeah, like, let, let me take it. So I have that because of a donation um, and like a just a, a series of things. So I happen to have this this copy, which is it's a it's just really nice. Like I love Gambit. I love that character. And I never would have tried to, I never would have thought I could have gotten a copy of that book. And it just happened to fall into my lap because of just some people that I know. So I'm, I'm really happy to own that book. Um, and the fact that I could get it signed by Chris Claremont was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that I'm just happy to have that book. And I realize it is a book, it's worth money and all that stuff, but I'll never sell it. It's something mm-hmm. that I just like to have um, for myself because I, I just love that character. Yeah. And again, th- that whole story of how you acquired it is, is a part of its value to you. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so I guess, you know, and I've also, I'm, I'm actually really happy that I have like Japanese copies of um, a couple different manga that I really, really love. Like I grabbed it when I was in Japan, I grabbed a copy of My Hero Academia Volume 1, Delicious and Dungeon Volume 1, Witch Head Atelier, um, Bakuman, and um, 
that that's really cool to just have like the I have both the volume ones of all of those in English and in Japanese. So that's really fun. And the other thing that I have is something that I found at like a book off, which is like a Japanese company kind of used goods sale for or used goods company that like sells, you know, manga and toys and DVDs and stuff like that. It's super discount. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one of those in New York. And so I happened to go there one day with some people from uh, Comixology when I was still working there. And we went downstairs to like the Japanese manga section. I was like, I don't have any, I don't read Japanese, so I don't know why I'm, what I'm doing. So I just browsing around. And of course I come across this huge shelf. That's just all Dragon Ball volumes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was in the middle of doing a Dragon Ball Z reread. And I was like, Oh my gosh, do they have the volume where Vegeta turns into Majin Vegeta? And like of all the arcs in Dragon Ball, that's probably one of my favorite because it's Vegeta at his most, he had his most desperate to destroy Goku while he's also trying to help them save earth. And he decides to make this deal with the devil to get these extra powers. And it's like one of the coolest little arcs in that whole run. So I happened to just be browsing. I didn't know which volume it was. And I just happened to just say, pull one off the shelf and I open it up to the page. That is like one of my favorite moments with Vegeta as a character. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy this for $3. That is the easiest purchase I can make in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have that sitting on my shelf and nice. it's like, yeah, Danny just posted a gif of that exact moment in the manga. Um, from the show um but it's it's perfect and i love it to death so i'm glad to have those because that's just just cool shit to have on Mm -hmm. my shelf yeah renee what about you what's what's something else that you've got that you're really happy that you own i'm really happy that i own the (laughs) the entire uh series of bakuman because i reread it a lot um It's a good series. I reread it a lot. I, well, I love it. And like, you know, it's it's got a lot of little small uplifting things for when you have writer's block or whatever. And, you know, it's it, it, it's good. And I really like the series. And I really like uh, Tsugumi Oba and Takeshi Obata. They're my favorite duo. So mm-hmm. uh, I mm-hmm. really, you know, and I, I bought that series. I think I bought like, because I read that series originally in college. And then I, I like slowly bought the issues and i think i bought like one a month till i got all of them right like it was a real slow burn because like i was you know i was just like oh i need to budget out things this is this is before i was buying a lot of comics before i was able mm-hmm. to and so it was just this this steady slow burn and then when i was able to buy the last i think the last three or four i was able to just boom buy all at once mm-hmm. and i don't know there was something like the moment of being able to be like, I would never like, you know, growing up, I would have to just buy random issues at a comic book store or mm-hmm. find these, you know, collections at like the grocery store or something like that, just random comics. And so just kind of being able to be like, this is the first series that I've been able to buy in its entirety. Right. And I now have it all. And I was personally able to do it. That was a very sort of moving experience for me. Sure. Um, to be able to like, I have this completed series yeah, and I did it on my own. No gifts. You know, this was something I wanted and I got it for myself. And so it's, it's got a special play in my heart as a series. And then also as the fact that I physically own them. Um, so yeah, I would say that I'm proud of that in that kit, in that sense. Yeah, dude. That's Absolutely. Awesome. I mean, yeah. again, and like we've said, you know, it, it definitely comes down to like 
a personal meaning like the, the yeah. pride of it is that is the, is something there's a story behind it it's not just i've got this key issue of superman that no one else can get and it's slapped <laughs> and it's 9.6 you know yeah. like i understand like the value that someone may have for that but like i think every single one of these here that we're talking about whether it's pride or shame in some cases <laughs> has a story behind it that is super meaningful to us and i think that's you know that's the point of this is to say like what what is important to you you know yeah. um and why is that thing important to you exactly yeah, yeah. And then, uh, which kind of, kind of similarly was like at the last C2E2 that we actually all went to, mm-hmm. um, I spent that entire time trying to finish the, cause I bought amazing Spider-Man in college fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. I think it was starting after starting at like big time it was right after the gauntlet. So it was still mm-hmm. pretty early in dance lots run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped right after, right after college. Cause I was moving a lot. So I was like, and dance lot had just ended his amazing spider-man run so i was like well i'm going to spend this entire weekend getting all the issues that i'm missing yeah and i did and uh <laughs> i spent a lot, <laughs> a lot. Of course. <laughs> yeah <laughs> there was one issue that like i needed i needed it and like the the only one person had it and it was a variant cover it was oh, so no. expensive oh, no. it was so expensive and i spent like like hours but this is why we go to conventions right right exactly yeah i mean yeah that 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 just perusing and stuff like that that's why we save that's why we go i mean like there is a in my you know i don't collect as much physical like single issues as i used to but like there is still like an inherent like mentality that you get into when you're just like deep diving through backlog cat like boxes of at conventions that like I don't know. You can't get with anything else. Like I, I don't get that same feeling just like perusing comicsology at all or hoopla or wherever you're yeah, looking yeah. at comic books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess, is there any, any other books you guys want to bring up? Anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap up here? Cause I, I think I've gone through everything that I've got. Um, I don't know if you guys have any last minute, like big books that you're super proud of. Uh, I mean, in terms of big books, I, I mean, I have my my uh, All Star Superman um, uh, Absolute Edition. I got my Batman Year One Absolute Edition. Those are probably featured on my nice. shelf. And uh, yes, and if mm-hmm. God forbid there was ever a, a fire here, those might be the two books I grab before I get out of the house. <laughs> Again, not because they're super rare, but because I mean, those are two stories that are very important to me. And I, yeah, I, I yeah. there were stories I deemed important enough to spend, you know, however much an Absolute Edition goes for, you know. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's stuff like that is, uh, is because of the stories themselves. They have a value. Definitely. Definitely. What about you, Renee? I would say my, uh, Dragon Ball Z volume four, which is the, it's, it's from the original English distribution. So it was before Shonen Jump did a, you know, a rebranding and whatnot. So it's, it's actually bigger than all of the new style books that I have. Like, and I have a bunch of Dragon Ball Z ones and it does bother me that they don't look right on the shelf next to each other um, <laughs> so they're so i actually had to categorize them differently um it doesn't make sense but it, it but it's i i that was like the first manga that i ever got my cousin gave it to me mm-hmm. and because he he liked dragon ball z and then i and i was like yeah man dragon ball z is awesome and we would talk about it all the time so when he moved away he was like i want you to have this because i think you'll appreciate it more and i was like thanks man Oh, and man, so really it, was, it was the first manga I ever had and it's got a special story behind it. But then it's also just a very cool because it's a very different like printing. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing that I think I really take kind of 
pride in or this, that I'm just always glad that I have, which is my Hikaru Nogo collection, which actually outside of outside of um, Dragon Ball Z and uh, I guess Naruto, but I think I think Hikaru Nogo was for Hikaru Nogo was the first manga series I started collecting mm-hmm. when I had my when I got my first job because I had a little preview book that my friend Nicholas gave me from middle school. And it had a bunch of previews in it. And one of them was Hikaru Nogo. And that was the first one that I was just like, I, 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 I need to know more about this book. <laughs> and I went to Barnes and Noble. I picked up the first volume. I read it from cover to cover. And then I was like, this is coming home with me, even though I've already read it. <laughs> and, and I know right. I've, I've talked about this before. Hikaru Nogo is my favorite manga series. Um, yeah. And again, also has art by the amazing Takeshi Obata. And mm-hmm. I read Hikaru no Go more than I read Bakuman. And I reread <laughs> both of those series multiple times a year. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, it's wonderful stuff. Like it's probably it's some wonderful. of the best manga. And it's like, so imagine, so you always know, I just, I tear through a ton of manga each year. Now just imagine on top of that, I also reread these two series about two or three times. <laughs> <laughs> Renee's a manga machine is what we're saying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Before we go too deep into talking about Hikaru Nogo, I think we need to wrap up. We're running out of tape here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this this is a really fun discussion, guys. I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, I, I It's really interesting to see what, you know, you guys really enjoy about your collections, what you don't enjoy about your collections, <laughs> or your, you feel a little weird about at least. Yeah. Um, and I, I had a lot of fun. So, um, thank you again for you know, spending the time to do that. Um, remember, you can always follow us on Twitter. You can follow Paul at Pauly. You can follow Renee at Rodriguez 29 and you can follow me at Mike Rappin. Uh, and, the, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga Saga, and more. You can join now at patreon.com slash IRCB Podcast. If you haven't already, please take a moment to rate and review our show. Uh, I think five stars would be a good place to start for that. Uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help spread the word about the show. And you can join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and pretty much anything else and listen to our episodes live as we record them at ircbpodcast.com slash discord. It helps us a lot if you tell your friends and your patrons down at the local comic shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is the editor of our show. He's also just a fun person to be around and talk to. I want to say thanks to Renee and Paul for being on the episode this week. Thanks for Danny for hanging with us in the Discord chat. And thank you to everyone out there who listens and hangs out with us listening to the show. It's it's really awesome to just see people send us messages about things they like about the show. It, it really means a lot. <laughs> um, until next time, I want to remind everybody, comics are good. And so are you.